Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host and colleague, Bruce Kelly, is uh, off this week, decking the hall somewhere, I assume, enjoying some uh, New York holiday spirit. I am here today with a special guest, Eric Belchunas, Senior ETF Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. We're going to talk about this trend albeit fledgling, and we'll talk about the outlook for all that of these so-called woke, anti-woke ETFs. Um, Eric, uh, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, I want to tell everybody listening that Eric is a, uh, is a pretty smart guy in the ETF space. Uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Uh, he's uh, very insightful and uh, enlightening and, and funny. Um, so Eric, give us a kind of the maybe the lay of the land here. What, what are these? And I know that it's, you know, they're not officially named anti-woke, but it's a category that we're, we're kind of, I guess, putting them into, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, obviously is a term that has a lot of, uh, it resonates. People immediately know what you mean. I guess before the word, before the word woke, I probably would, would call these sort of like conservative leaning ETFs or something like that. Um, or you know political ETFs, and so what they're trying to do here in this case, second vote is the company, and they're looking at companies that you know donate to certain uh, causes and support certain causes. So there's two. One is uh, society defendants, like a Second Amendment ETF. So it looks at companies that support and respect the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms um, and border security. It looks like that's in here too. Um, and then it has some like quantitative screens like a stock picker would do, but that's the, the premise. The other one is, is, is life. So it looks for companies that support, um, you know, right to life um, and, uh, you know, those kind of issues. And so it's a, a twist on something that has been around for a while. These ETFs are not new. There's even a MAGA ETF, which is, looks at um, companies that get the most, uh, have the most GOP donations. Um, and then beyond that, there's been political ETFs that try to benefit from whichever parties in power, you know, uh, which stocks would do best if the GOP is in power versus the Democrats. So it's, a, it's sort of the latest twist on a, on a long line of trying to maybe tap into p- people's political values in investing. Um, so that's sort of how I, I see this, these two new ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, I mean, do these things perform? Is it, is it worth the investment, whether or not you, if you can set your political views aside? Uh, I, I think if, if you aren't into these issues, I doubt you would buy this. Um, I think the only hope for these is to appeal to people who really want to express their views um, in, in this way. And there could be a, some of those people. I doubt somebody looking to outperform would go, you know, I bet these, you know, these right to life stocks will beat the S&P over the next 10 years. I, I don't think that will really cross anybody's mind. I think the people who buy them for value investing, I think they want it to outperform and it could. And to be honest, everything that deviates from an index, no matter what it is, it's going to have a period where it outperforms and it's going to have a period where it underperforms. But over 20, 30, 40 years, as we've learned from a lot of studies, it will probably underperform due to costs, both the expense ratio and the cost, uh, the turnover costs. That's just the way it goes. So I think that's generally how I'd look at these. 
and how I'd also look at ESG. So I think this is the same side to the other side of the same coin of ESG, or really any, again, anything that deviates from a benchmark. Right. Well, the, and we'll get to ESG in a second, but um, MAGA, as I understand, had MAGA, the ticker is M-A-G-A. That had a strong start to 2021, correct? Yeah, the, the mo- probably one of the most ironic things or stories of the year is that MAGA really started taking off when Biden became president. When Trump was president, this thing was in the doghouse. And the reason is because it's very, it has no tech. It's heavy industrials and energy. And so when Trump was president, tech did very well. And when Biden took over, there was that move in Q1 to value stocks and things that had been left behind, small caps and stuff. And so MAGA actually was a really decent Biden play. Um, you could even, you know, it, it, it's MAGA's got a little bit of the Dow in there. It's like that old world of like, you know, hard construction companies and energy and industrials and stuff like that. So um, I think if you're looking for like a jacked up version of the Dow, um, it, this could come in handy. I don't think anybody will use it for that. And when it did outperform, I, it didn't really get any bites, which tells me that, you know, we, we, we've always said that for a shiny object or any ETF really to, to get assets and flows, um, it has to first outperform and then it has to make sense to an investor's brain. I think this one didn't do the second. I think an ETF like, I don't know, the cloud computing ETF or the robotics ETF, when that outperforms, people then go, oh, of course it outperform. I've heard about robotics. I saw that Boston Dynamics robot do a flip. This is crazy. I should invest in this. Um, the second part of the equation probably was lacking here. I think people go, when, oh, it outperformed, but I don't really want to, I, I don't know much about GOP. I don't care. It's not my thing. Um, and so I think that's the problem here. But it, yeah, it did outperform, and, and um, you know, ironically, uh, it, it took Biden's president. Which, by the way, there's a side issue here, which is remember when uh, there's a, a big election coming up, and you'll read these articles like stocks to play for a possible Trump or Biden presidency. I'm telling you, not only does that never work, it almost is the opposite. Like energy stocks were awful under Obama, and they crushed under Trump. That makes no sense, right? Bank stocks did great under Obama. So did defense names. Um, and the MAGA is a perfect example of, of it's almost like you should do the opposite of what you think, but at the very least, how the White House really isn't going to dictate what happens with stocks and sectors. Well, the thing that I see about these types of strategies when you start uh, injecting politics into investing is, I mean, it's one thing to sit there and I, I'm, I will say I'm guilty of writing those stories that say, an Obama or a Biden presidency could favor these types of sectors because you think about the policies that those presidents or those administrations might support. Um, to me, whether those are wildly inaccurate or not, it's different than launching an ETF that is overtly political. And because to me, the problem with that is sort of like is sort of the same as when I hear entertainers take a strong political position, why would you want to do that? This is the most politically divisive time in modern history. Why would you want to potentially alienate a large chunk of your audience? And to me, but that's kind of the shtick in the ETF space. They're like you said, the, the, the thing about the thing that makes you strong in the ETF space is being first, being inexpensive and being as unique as you can get. But when you're talking about, you know, MAGA or, or 
you know, to me, it's it's kind of like people vote with their wallets. They might say, well, I don't want to support that company because they're, you know, they don't they don't they don't jive with my beliefs. But investing that way, this is where I just I don't really understand the motivation there. Do you? Uh, no, I, you know, I, I don't think it makes sense uh, personally, but look, uh, I'm a fan of capitalism and choice. It's the American way. And, you know, if somebody wants it this way, um, by all means, it's legal. Uh, you know, you want to own these stocks. I, I think a lot of this in the political and ESG space, frankly, is, is really selling a feeling like you've scratched an itch or you've accomplished something when, I, I mean, let's face it, if the Second Amendment stock or fund doesn't own this stock, it's not like the, the, the woke company that it doesn't own isn't going to even notice. Uh, it, I, it really won't do much. I think on the flip side, ESG is the same way. I think if, if you buy uh, an ESG ETF um, you know, and it doesn't own, I don't know, a certain stock like Exxon, I, I just don't know if Exxon really cares all that much. I think Exxon more cares about you know, who its big shareholders are, and ESG ETFs aren't that big. Um, but I think it, it helps you feel like you've done something. And that's a powerful thing in today's world. People are too busy to be bothered to do anything. I call it slacktivism. But they, you know, they can put, they can change their Twitter profile for a week for some cause, or they can buy an ESG. It's a very, very convenient way to feel like you've done something good. And these CDFs, these uh, conservative ones are sort of the same thing. It's a very easy, convenient way to feel like you've done something. I just don't know what it really accomplishes, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess time will tell if one of these strategies outperforms, you know, in some crazy way we haven't imagined, I guess I'll eat my words. But I, I think most people, what they do is they invest in cheap beta. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's brilliant. You get the whole market for three or four basis points now. And then in voting or their consumption or in volunteering in their personal life is when they can exercise some of these things, which I think is probably the right way to do it not investing yeah the um and i know you and i have discussed kind of esg and the anti-woke funds as opposite sides of the same coin if you will um i know that the esg is is wildly overshadows these these small fledgling funds that support more conservative i guess campaigns but how did esg become the opposite side of a of a political uh position i mean you have any sense on that because i i mean my sense is that that's not how it started way back in the day but um that seems to be where it is now yeah well i think if you take uh the e and the s uh environmental issues tend to be championed by democrats more i think that's pretty safe to say mm -hmm. um and i think social issues uh, equality and all that tends to be championed more by Democrats pound for pound. So that, that's why those issues just tend to be more Democratic uh, or Democrat leaning. The G, I think, is pretty neutral. I think the G is one of those issues where um, both sides probably would agree on good governance is good. Uh -huh. um, and so honestly, the G is what uh, ARC's new ETF tackles, which is the transparency. And uh, we think it's kind of interesting that it's it's an apolitical way to sort of tackle all that. But most of them uh, do all three letters. And so they end up becoming a, a, a little, I think, I think if you 
listen to ESG articles and you read about them, they can sound a little moralizing, you know, mm-hmm. save the planet, do this and that. And, and I think a lot of people sniff that there's some, there's some hypocrisy there because, you know, uh, some of the companies that, that sell them, they, they, you know, they send their employees flying all over the place. They use Exxon just as much as everybody else. Um, and so I think there's a degree of, of sort of preachiness to the ESG and, and I honestly think these conservative funds are somewhat of a reaction to that. Um, mm-hmm. I've even had some middle of the road people find ESG promotion to get a little, a little annoying at times um, with its sort of preachy moralizing vibe. Um, that said, I think, you know, there are definitely good, if you are a stock analyst and you're analyzing a company, I would totally use ESG metrics as part of my full analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to know how they are with environmental issues social issues and governance. I would put that into a larger fundamental uh, analysis. What I think is probably overhyped and not going to work long-term is to say, oh, hey, sell your Vanguard fund and buy this ESG ETF where we screen out the bad companies, leave the good ones. That's a dangerous play. Uh, Let's say you underperform by say 3% a year or 2% a year over 30 years. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions in missed returns. I don't think anyone cares that much. Uh, and that's a big risk. And that's why I'm bearish ESG generally is because they're trying to displace a cheap beta ETF from the core. And I think most people are just not going to sell that. I think what they might do, and I think what we're bullish on is, is stuff you can add on to cheap beta, like a TAN. You go up to solar uh-huh. energy stocks. Or in Kathy Wood's case, that transparency is 100 of the most transparent companies equal weighted that you could use that as a little hot sauce on your vanilla. Um, there's a couple examples like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, look, it's a free country. People want to have cheap beta and then add on a, a more, um, and like ESGU, the BlackRock ETF, it's only got, it's got 75% overlap with the S&P. Some people may overlap that with an S&P ETF itself. So you still own the bad stocks in your original S&P fund. Okay, but maybe you tilt a little bit away from them because now you own ESGU. These are some of the questions that people will have to answer for themselves. But in my opinion, I, I think uh, trying to dis- we're just bearish anything, trying to dislodge a cheap Vanguard fund from the core of a portfolio. Um, but we are bullish on things that can complement those funds. So I think that's our general take on, on ESG. And because you're looking at it as, a, as an analyst, as from a performance perspective, and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, but, but the... I've heard a lot of people tell me that ESG is performance. ESG produces outperformance. And I know there have been some strong runs and I reported on them earlier this year with, you know, there's a lot of tech in a lot of these ESG strategies and that can produce some strong runs. But uh, I mean, what do you say to that, that ESG is alpha? Uh, Well, it's, it can't be proven. I mean, Look, there's, there's a couple ESG ETFs that are older than 10 years. So I'll just tell you the returns of, of one of them right now. So SUSA, mm-hmm. iShares ESG fund. So over, it was launched in 2005. So it went through 2008, it's experienced a lot. It's up, it's basically trailing the S&P by 18 percentage points. Annualized, that's only 22 basis points. So it's, you're pretty much getting the S&P. Mm-hmm. But it's not beating it. If anything, it is lagging it a little. And I, I looked at why. SUSA didn't hold Amazon. 
the Amazon is, uh, again, the ESG people will tell you Amazon's not necessarily ESG compliant. Um, it didn't hold um, Constellation Brands, which is sells Corona. I don't know if it's alcohol, but that was us on fire. Ross Stores, it didn't hold. So I looked and there was a couple 1,000% stock performers. This thing did not catch. Mm -hmm. And I think that caused me to create what I call the Amazon test. Let's say you're thinking of ESG. I would ask you this question. There's two, you have to answer these two questions, yes. And, and, I, and then I would say you should be ESG. First is, are you willing to miss out on the next Amazon or an Amazon type performance? Because in America, there's definitely a lot of innovation and a lot of like crazy awesome companies, which you don't get in Europe. So it's more risky to be an ESG investor here. Are you willing to miss out on, on the next Amazon to be ESG? If the answer is yes, okay, here's your second question. Are you willing to not shop there? Um, because what is the point of not excluding a company where you're a customer? Um, and I would say the same thing for Exxon. Uh, we, we all consume a lot of gas, most of us. Why would you not want to hold that company? And so if you ask those two questions, I have found what you get is only 5% of people say yes to both. That to me is who should be doing this stuff because they can stomach the drawdowns, the underperformance, because they're all in. This is their lifestyle. So that's my opinion on, on who should be an ESG investor. That gets us to 5% of ETF assets, which is a good niche. Mm -hmm. It's just probably underwhelming or bearish relative to the hype. There is no area that gets more press per asset than ESG. So I'm not bearish, period. I'm more just bearish to the hype. And that mm -hmm. Amazon test, I think, is a, it's a pretty decent thing to put yourself through if you really are serious about, about doing an ESG investment portfolio. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of uh, people in the ESG space, especially when I bring up the topic of greenwashing, to, to not let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. And I think you could kind of apply your, your logic or your rationale to that being if somebody wants to be an ESG investor and says, well, I still drive a car, so I use gasoline or I still shop at Amazon, and most of my portfolio is, is in Vanguard, you know, broad market exposure, but I want to do something. So I'm going to invest in these ESG funds on the side. It's a small percentage of my portfolio, but I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, you're, you, you could believe you're doing something. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you are doing something. If, if these funds are, you know, uh, active in proxy voting and stuff like that. Right. Uh, well, look, let's, let's go over that. So say you sold 10% of VOO and you added SUSA, um, you know, it costs 25 basis points. So that's almost 10 times the cost of VOO. Yeah, VOO, tell our audience what that oh, is. VOO is the Vanguard S&P 500. Okay. So it, it's sort of, I guess, the poster child for cheap beta. Yep. <laughs> um, so you're, you're now at 10 times the cost to be ESG. So even though 25 bits is, is pretty cheap, I, I'll admit. Um, but yeah, you can do that. I mean, there's no reason why not. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't let gr uh, perfect be the enemy of good or whatever that phrase is. Um, you know, we have to drive. We have to, you know, do these things. I just think it does challenge the person's brain a little more to think about, well, that's true. Like what, what would make a difference? You know, maybe I should not shop at Amazon or, or um, get an electric vehicle or something. Um, I just think it is, it is weird to, to be a customer of something and not want to participate in their profits. That's sort of the whole point of investing. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it's a fair question. But to your point, yeah, if you want to add a little bit, because that, that brings me to the, okay, it's not for values, it's for outperformance potential. Well, sure. I think then ESG ETS become just a lot like uh, a smart beta ETF or a theme. It's something you think is going to outperform, by all means, uh, add a little on. Um, so yeah, there's no harm in that, I guess. Just know you're going to be paying a little more. And if you buy something like ESGU, which is cheaper, 15 bips, um, that's still, what is that, five times more expensive than cheap beta, uh, you're going to be doubling up on a lot of stocks you already own. So I definitely would not just add it to your equity. Mm -hmm. I would sell a little of the beta and replace it with that. Because mm -hmm. if you add an ESG ETF on top of your equity, just know you're largely getting the same stocks. If you look at the holdings of most ESG ETFs, they're, they're generally the FANG names. It looks a lot like the S&P. So just know you'll be just making extra bets on like market cap weighted beta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my uh, kind of long time, I don't want to call it a pet peeve, but it's a question I've been asking forever, is the, the issue of having ESG funds on listed on retirement plan menus. And my theory, and I know a lot of people try to point to policies coming out of Washington as driving it one way or another, but if you look closely at those policies, they've never really shut down or completely opened the door to this. I still think it, it lies at the, at the plan sponsor level. These plan sponsors are, are playing, you know, they're erring on the side of caution, and they look at this and they say these things are a little more expensive, and the performance is, is you know, I can't make a case for it. So they don't want these things on there to getting into, maybe getting into some kind of a fiduciary risk. What's your thinking on, on ESG inside retirement plan menus? I'm okay with it. Uh, like I said, I'm a fan of choice. Mm -hmm. I think there should be all kinds of options in a 401k plan within reason. I think ESG is within reason. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm all for it, especially some of these ESG ETFs. They're very cheap. Um, even though I just said they're five and 10 times more expensive, they're still under 30 bits. Mm -hmm. um, you could you do a lot worse than SUSA or ESGU. Um, there's a lot of active mutual funds that, underperform they charge one percent they have you know one percent of turnover a year too that's two percent of costs that can really deteriorate over time these don't have those uh, it's a low turnover and the expense ratio is cheap so um it's it, it's arguably maybe a more uh less friction frictional way to do active management so i'm fine with that um again i would just you know um obviously ask Again, the, the, the basic question you have to ask yourself is whether I'm going in through value for values or because I think it outperform. Are you going to be cool if it does underperform? Mm -hmm. um, you know, or are you going to like get buyer's remorse and be like, oh, why did I pick this? And it costs more. Ah, I hate my life. You know, whatever. I <laughs> just mm -hmm. like it. Just you got to play that tape out all the way. Um, it could outperform, and of course, that's a. I would just look at that as a pleasant surprise. Uh, I would go in just sort of expecting at least periods of underperformance. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm, you know, again, we generally put ESG in the same bucket as smart beta themes, uh, anything that deviates from a, a beta benchmark. It's, it's another form of active. Um, it just comes with this sort of like, I don't know, um, values element that you don't get from smart beta, which is specifically like, hey, we discovered this premium, let's go after it with a quantitative method. Um, this one has a third dimension, which is the sort of values and 
you know, the planet and all that kind of stuff. And I can tell, and I know that you're a, you're a fan of, of beta and in broad market exposure. Um, but to me, I still see ESG as a, as a, as a category out there that is, that has obviously a place. And the, another thing I want to ask you about sort of shifting gears a little bit is, uh, the talk of this, uh, Nancy Pelosi's portfolio that that is is kind of a joke, but it's it's kind of not a joke. I mean, what what's the give us the the whole backstory on that thing? Well, people looked at her account and they found that she was trading uh, stocks and options, and she was good at it. Um, uh-huh. And you know the way Nancy Pelosi comes across, she comes across as a very no nonsense, shrewd person who's you know that's why she's Speaker of the House. She's able to. Uh, really uh, get people in line. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that she's this sort of active day trader, sort of evil genius stock, you know, act, uh, uh, you know, uh, alpha generating sort of congresswoman who may or may not be using inside information to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just such mm-hmm. an appealing thing that fits with her caricature. So it's a half kidding thing that we talk about. I say, you know, Nance, an ETF to track Nancy portfolio's portfolio or Nancy Pelosi's portfolio would do uh-huh. very well. I, I, I do think so. And I do think it taps into, unlike these ESG uh, political ETFs where they're trying to tap into your values, mm-hmm. this is almost like trying like a factor ETF. Hey, we've discovered something that outperforms, whether it's value or momentum. In this case, it's just Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and let's just track this. Um, that's a more uh, that would appeal to anybody, right or left, because right. hey, I can outperform. And so uh, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be worth it. It'd be a great experiment to see if uh, people in Congress are that good. Maybe we would get a law to ban them from trading because I don't think they should trade. But if they're going, if they're going to, they probably would do better because of the information they're privy to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Nature Ace put a tweet out that said, "Hey, you know who's the who's the best active manager right now?" And the most popular reply was Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, even be Kathy Wood and, and Buffett. So um, I think there's demand for it. I think it would be fun. I don't think anybody will launch it, but I, I like to I like to you know sort of imagine it being launched. To be fair, that that information that people are using to track her portfolio is delayed, right? You're right. There are some hedge fund ETFs that there uh, there are some ETFs to track 13F filings from hedge funds. So it would be something like that, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which it wouldn't be exactly tracking her. I guess to your point, the ultimate way to do it is if Nancy left Congress and set up, or while she was in Congress, set up a hedge fund. That would probably <laughs> be the purest way to do this. But second of that, I think just having her funds like a guru, which is the uh, Global X one that tracks hedge fund holdings of 13Fs. That's, I think, how I would imagine it is something like that. But you're right, there'd be a delay. So it wouldn't be perfect. Well, it's, uh, don't give her any ideas, because I, I think she's leaving Congress. I, I heard she bought a house in Florida and planning to I don't know. Who knows? Maybe she'll stay in Congress. Um, all right, uh, Eric, I think I got what I need from you. Picked your brain. Uh, really good stuff. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, enlightening us. I, we're going to have you on here again to, uh, to, to dig deeper into another topic of your, in your area of expertise. Eric Belchunas, Senior ETF Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. 
I'm Jeff Benjamin. Uh, on behalf of my co-host, Bruce Kelly, I want to thank you all for a wonderful and exciting and fun uh, and interesting 2021. This is our last episode of the year. Our next episode will come out in January, and we will have uh, some folks on here talking about what's ahead for 2022. So, so stay tuned and look out for that. I want to thank our producer, Stephen Lamb, always there making us sound good and uh, fixing our flubs, hopefully. And uh, follow us. Uh, you can you can reach out to me on Twitter at Benji Writer. Bruce Kelly is at BD News Guy. And uh, Eric, what's your uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, mine is at Eric Balchunas. Uh Believe it or not, that was not taken. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. Talk to you next time.